Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks a lot for your download. Thanks again for joining us. I I absolutely love doing what I do. I love getting to interview amazing people on this podcast. I love getting to share those amazing people with you. And I typically am so excited when I start these things, I forget to even introduce myself, which I've done again today. I am Phil Dark, the host of this podcast. And I hope that I hope that this isn't the first time you've heard it. If it is, welcome. If it isn't, you know that you're in store for a great interview just because we've been having amazing interviews all the way through this podcast. Today is no exception to that. I had the opportunity to interview Lance Key. He is a veteran of the MLS. He has coached at Trinity University down in San Antonio. He was at the University of Texas for a short stint, and he is now at the University of Louisiana in Lafayette, Louisiana, the Ragin' Cajuns. I just love saying that, which I'm sure you will too. So if you haven't done so already, join the Facebook group. You know, that's really where we want to go deeper into our conversation with you. If you have any questions for me, you can email me, phil at howsoccerexplainsleadership.com. I'd also love to hear any guests that you have that you think would be a great fit for this show. If you're one of those people that you think would be a great guest, I would love to hear from you on that. We can jump on a call and uh, see if it's a fit. So without more from me before this great interview, Lance, how are you doing? Doing great, Phil. Just uh, another day in the office, doing what we do. I have the, the pleasure of coming out of this recruiting dead period as we, as we jump into this call. So busy times ramping back up for us, but an opportunity to, to really start to interact with folks, both 18 to 22 and, and, their, and their families and their support networks again for the first time in a really long time. And I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be on this call too. I, I, I love what you're doing. I love the way that you are just tying the sport into life. I think at the end of the day, if, if we're not doing that, then we're really missing the, we're really missing the point in the big picture and have, have enjoyed learning uh, some things from some really insightful people that you've been able to bring on to, to this platform and, and just really humbled and honored to, to have the opportunity to be one of those people. Well, I can tell you, I've got really enjoyed getting to know you. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know about the dead period, it's been a really long one. And so we are recording this on June 2nd, which is important because June 1st yesterday was the end of that dead period for Division One. So that's what uh, Lance was referring to there. And I just can't even imagine you're chomping at the bit to get going. And I'm sure that'll come up a little bit here too, just the impact of COVID on different programs, the impact of these different things in our lives, as as you've learned in your his in your career to overcome a lot of this stuff, and I just imagine the last year has been another example of overcoming adversity and uh, different things in our lives. So before we get to that, if you have listened to this to this podcast before, you know that I love stories. You know that I love hearing how you got to where you are today. So can you share that with us, just particularly how you developed your passion for soccer and leadership and just a bit about your journey? As you've told me, you've kind of overcome the odds throughout your career through high school and in the MLS and college and and that and your coaching career as well. So can you share that with us, just, uh, just a bit of uh, your history? And again, if you want the full thing, just go on to his bio at the you know University of Louisiana website. You can check out uh, a lot of the the numbers and the stats and all that stuff. But right now, I just kind of want to get behind the scenes a little bit and just hear how you got to be where you are today. 
Yeah, you know, if, if you go back to, to where it all started, kind of the most unlikely of scenarios, I, I grew up in a little town south of San Antonio, Texas, about an hour, a rural community, about 2,500 people. Uh, I think our nearest neighbor was a mile away. And uh, so it was, it was sand, uh, which is, as you've, as I was growing up, not particularly conducive to developing a skill set to play soccer. Thankfully, though, it's, it's been fun to watch beach soccer really start to evolve and, and, and to kind of tag onto the sport. But, but growing up, there wasn't a whole lot of beach soccer being played. But I felt like I was every day training that. But uh, it's a little town, not really a, a youth soccer league of note. My parents ended up taking over and running the youth soccer league, Floresville, uh, the little town that I grew up in. So that myself and my my family, my siblings had an opportunity to play. As we got, a, as I got a little bit better, as we got a little bit better, we transitioned up to San Antonio. It was about an hour commute each direction, and so that was probably preteen, probably the 10, 11 time frame is when I shifted to go up to San Antonio. Started playing there in the club environment, and 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 really just had already fallen in love with the game. You know, my my family all played it, so we spent every weekend at the park. And it was just it was just a big part of who we were. Sports was a big part of who we were. Interestingly, though, uh, as as large of a of a human being as my father is, I was never I was never that never that person, never that 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 body growing up, if you will. So, if I fast forward to going to freshman year of high school, I checked in freshman year of high school about four foot ten inches, and and I think just around ninety pounds. So uh, coming in as a freshman, trying to play varsity soccer and varsity anything at that point, that was a tough task. And I'd always been little my whole life. I was always grown up as, as kind of the little guy. And, and you know, I think in, in some ways developed a little bit of the, the little guy, the little guy persona, little guy attitude, uh, chip on my shoulder. I knew I had to fight and scrap for everything. I was the youngest of three kids. And so there was already a little bit of that in me anyway. Then compound that with being extraordinarily small and undersized a 16th birthday phil i'm five foot two i check in to get my uh, my driver's license and sure enough on my driver's license five foot two inches now 17th birthday i'm five foot ten wow. and so that was an interesting an interesting year sure i, I ran a lot i ran around a little bit like a, a baby wildebeest with, without a whole lot of coordination from 16 <laughs> to 17 but even then i was really still pretty undersized i hadn't you know i hadn't put on much muscle. I think I was 130 pounds, something like took that through my senior year, wanted to go all over the country to play. I wanted to go to North Carolina or Wake Forest or University of Notre Dame and, and uh, had the opportunity to be seen by uh, a lot of the people that were in, in decision-making roles at those programs. And the thing that just kept coming back to me is you just undersized, you're just not big enough. And, you know, you can imagine I'd heard that once or a million times uh, over the course of my childhood. So didn't deter me, but I had a I had a, a person who had come into my life who had really tried to be a facilitator for me, and uh, that was the coach, the the men's coach at Trinity University named Paul McGinley, and he was he was literally facilitating my college search experience with not a whole lot to gain. And uh, long story short, all the all the 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 knows you're too small did get an opportunity to go to to an institution uh, in the Midwest where I, I never really spent any time. But at the end of the day, I decided uh, to, to go to Trinity, to stay local. My, my family was there. It was a way to, to stay close to my family. I had a really young nephew at the time who I was really close with. And, and it was an opportunity for, for me at that point in my life to, to try to look beyond my scope of, of just what is my path, but, but also look at 
the opportunity I had to be an influence in his life. And at that point, as, as a young man, by, either by luck or by, by, by intent, I don't know, but, but I ended up staying because I really cared about my relationship with him. And, and, and again, I don't know that I was necessarily mature enough to have consciously made that decision, knowing fully what the scope of that influence was going to be, but I did. And it was the best decision, one of the best decisions I, I, I've ever made. and certainly the best decision, I think, up to that point in my life, because I walked into a position where I had a male mentor that really cared about me, that really wanted to see me succeed. He promised me, uh, as, as wild as this is, he promised me that my, my lifelong dream to that point of being a professional soccer player, that if I came and played for him, he would make sure that it happened. How he made that promise how he felt confident in making that promise. I don't know, maybe just a really good recruiting pitch, but, but I ended up going there and I uh, spent four years, a terrific four years, got a great education, really challenged myself in the academic space, probably beyond where I really wanted to be challenged, but that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And uh, lo and behold, at the end of, of seven semesters, I got drafted to go play in major league soccer. I'd spent a little bit of time in the in the winter and doing some, some pre-camp training with the Colorado Rapids and uh, was drafted out in Major League Soccer in the draft in January, joined the team, got to go to Panama and Portugal and for preseason, then back to, to, to Denver, Westminster was where our, our training facility was. And not long after that, got to start in my, my first ever Major League Soccer game in the Rose Bowl against the famous Kobe Jones. And absolutely got turned inside out as a defender. I mean, he had <laughs> me for lunch, a snack, dinner, and the next day's breakfast, I think, all in the same 90 minutes. But what a great experience it was. A, a Division three player coming out, always undersized, always kind of on the outside looking in and had an opportunity to start in my first, my first Major League Soccer match in the Rose Bowl. And, and wow. got to play uh, two seasons with, with uh, the Colorado Rapids. Unfortunately, in June of my first season, I had a concussion. That helped me out for a couple of weeks, came back and, and very quickly thereafter suffered a second concussion that had a longer term impact on me. And so I ended up sitting out a good bit of that, that first season, the second half of that first season, got back into things, came back in my second season, was having a great start to the year again, June of my second season, concussion number three, came back after about a month, July, fourth concussion in, in uh, 12 months. And at that point, the at that point it was still pretty early on, Phil. I mean, you think about what we know about concussions and head injuries now. Uh, there's still, I think, a lot of questions. But you go back 20 years, and there were just a lot more questions. And so, at that point, I think part of the unknown, uh, but part of the the expected as well, was that you know, if I were to, to sustain another one because of the compounding effect of concussions, that that could be it for me. Whether it whether it be uh, loss of brain activity totally or, or, or some partial loss of brain activity and, and who knows what the lifestyle would be there. So the league lawyers and, and physicians at that point, I think probably made the right decision. I might not have made the right decision as a 23-year-old, but they helped me make that. And that was the end of my career. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Fortunately, my dad, who had played uh, a pretty long career in, in the National Football League, had encouraged me when I got drafted out. He said, son, this is one of the best pieces of advice that he gave me. This and, and at the end of the day, you'll, you'll be able to, to count your friends on one hand. But, but the other piece of a really good advice was at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to eat that ball. So if you don't have your degree, you're going to be in a really bad spot. And, and he, he experienced that himself personally. He spent a long time in the league and came out, didn't have his degree and had to try to figure that out. So 
I took his advice in the off season after my first season, I was able to get my degree. I graduated from Trinity University in December of 2000. And little did I know exactly one year later, I was going to be out of contract, no longer able to play the sport that I loved, the sport that I, I had pursued passionately my whole life and not really knowing what I was going to do. And so had an opportunity to take over as an athletic director at a private school in San Antonio as a bit of a segue, just until I could get to figure things out and land back on my feet, but it was at least back home. And not long after that, I got the call from the athletic director that I played for at Trinity. And he offered me the job at 24 years of age to come in and be the head coach of the women's team alongside my one of my greatest mentors and, and one of my greatest influences on my college coach. We were, we were now colleagues. Hmm. I created a different dynamic and, and a difficult one. And I think as a 24-year-old male, I, I probably didn't handle that as well as I wish I had looking back on it. But I learned a lot through that time. And, uh, and as you said, I spent a good while there. Ended up at University of Texas for a short spell. And then now in the, the lovely part of the country of South Louisiana, uh, where you just couldn't find nicer people, kinder people, more familial and, and loving what I'm doing. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's so much there that I'd uh, love to spend hours just mining. But, you know, we don't have hours here. We have a little, you know, we have an hour or so, so we'll get to some of it. But uh, I know I've, I've heard so much. There's so much more to that story, to go into your family, to go into your kids, to go into all that, which we'll get into some of that in a little bit here, which all plays into it. But right, right now I want to dig a little bit into those concussions. This idea, you know, one of the things we've talked a lot about on this show is overcoming adversity, is resilience, are these things that so often in, you know, it's one of the things that coaches and leaders over and over are saying, the one thing I wish our people had more of, it's resilience, the ability to overcome adversity and move past these obstacles and these hurdles. And so you talked about that with the concussions. I mean, to get one concussion, I know my kids have had a a couple concussions that my older kids have had each have two. And, and that's a big deal, right, to have a couple, but to, to have it really quickly end your professional career. You know, what did that teach you? You talked about your dad was talking to you about that, but that idea of resilience, that idea of identity, what did that experience, and maybe even some of the other experiences, but that one in particular, teach you about just life and who you are and about resilience? I think some of the major pieces that I would, that I would extract from that experience in my own personal life is, is one life is hard. Things are going to come at us on a regular basis. I mean, you you talked about COVID at the start of the show and you think about what that introduced to our society and how complicated that's made things and, and how it's presented us with something that none of us have ever experienced before. And just through that, through having to navigate this over the last 15 months, I, I think teaches us a lot about ourselves and a lot about our environment, our society, the people that we, we relate with. And, but it also shows you that, that there are things around the corner that are unexpected that are going to really challenge us. And, you know, at any point in time, right, you you become to, to make, to, to make an important decision. There's going to be the path that probably you should be on. And there's going to be an easy path, right? And there's always that out. There's always that out. In any of these circumstances that we find ourselves, there's always an out. And, you know, I think one thing that, that I took out of it was if I want to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish in life, I have to be able to identify with something beyond 
being a soccer player. I wanted to play my entire life. I wanted to play professionally. As I said, my dad played professionally. I grew up just wanting, just passionately pursuing that professional career. As so many kids do, they look up to their parents and they look up to their mom and dad. And you know, mom's a doctor or dad's a doctor, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be a doctor. You know, mom's an attorney. I'm gonna be an attorney. So it was for me. It was dad was a professional athlete, and athletics was a big part of our of our daily life of our our family life. And so to me. As a little bitty guy, pursuing football was a tough ask, right? So <laughs> um, I, I pursued the other football and, and it's turned out okay, right? But, you know, when I got to that point, first of all, I, I think that the medical issues and, and dynamics and, and, and you know, the, the, the post-concussive syndrome and all of those things that came with that, I really struggled with. It was a very difficult time. You know, I think compound the, the medical elements that come along with with that type of serious traumatic injury but then compound that with with the emotional component of Mm -hmm. this is this is what i've always wanted to do and as a young person i think sometimes we get so tied up into what we do that sometimes we forget that that's not necessarily who we are right Mm -hmm. we're created as human beings not as human doings but oftentimes we get we get so consumed by our human doing that we forget about our human being. And, and so I had, a, I had, a, I had a couple of choices, right? I could, I could lay in bed, you know, and I had, I had migraine headaches, I, I, you know, to the count of, of four to five a week where I was debilitated in bed with no lights on and no sound and just trying to hide from any, any type of, of, of sensory engagement because of the pain that it caused. But then there was also this part that was going on in my heart. And, and you know, I, I feel like I could have just laid in bed and, and, and maybe, maybe wouldn't have made it through that, quite frankly. But, but something inside of me, and at the time, you know, I, I don't know that I, I fully was able to engage with it because there was a lot of things I was experiencing that I don't know that I had the maturity for. And I'd been through that before, you know, in, in my spiritual walk, coming into, coming into a, a phase of life and, and really being really excited about it and then having some, some adversity come my way and not knowing how to deal with it and, and sort of losing my path. So I'd had to, I've had to correct my path before. And I felt like I was in that space of correcting my path and, and do, doing it, getting back where people were, where I knew I could rely on the support of people I needed to help me, to help talk me through some things. It was, I think was important to me knowing that you, you, you were not created to be alone. We're created to be in relationship. And so laying in bed all by myself all day long, even though I didn't know what else I, I could do was not, was not the right path. You know, taking the medications that they, that they put me on with all the side effects and things like that. Also something I made a choice. I wasn't, I wasn't going to stay in that state, but you, you manifest that out and, and it transcends any environment, right? Adversity transcends environment because it stays with you. And there's a compounding effect to our experience and our wisdom that comes through overcoming adversity. And you're right. We're in a world, we're in a space right now where I, I think the comforts of, of our world are so easily accessible. They weren't, you know, there were a few of those comforts that, that were sort of unspeakable in many ways. That, you know, I think when you and I were growing up, but, but I think the comforts of the world that, that the, 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 the generation, the now generation has at their fingertips all the time just continues to cloud. And I think to, to dilute that, that inner ability to overcome adversity and, and, and it becomes more difficult. And, and, you know, every, every, every social media outlet has, has a multitude of filters that you can make that picture look that much better. And, 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 and the reality is these are all things that help us escape our own reality, but we're not meant to escape our reality. 
We're, we're, I think we're meant to embrace that. I think we're meant to, to extract wisdom from those experiences and then be able to take those out and have influence in our space. And, and to me, I love adversity. I love being uncomfortable because I, in one way, I, I think that's how much, how I've been most of my life, but I've had some of these really key moments in my experience, in particular in the sports space that I think it has really helped me to, to engage the young person. My favorite thing is to be a mentor of 18 to 22 year olds. I look at my 18 to 22, 23, and look at all the mistakes that I made. Right? And I didn't have nearly the pressure on me because of the, the social influences that these kids have now. But I love the opportunity to mentor. And adversity is, is something I think I've had a fair bit of. I know there's many out there that would, that would maybe argue that. You don't know anything about adversity. You wait till you hear my story. Hmm. But all in our own perspective, and I think in all, all relative to our own lives. But, but adversity is always coming, Phil. It's always around the corner. And we, we can define ourselves by the, the adversity that we face or by the way that we manage that adversity, by the way that we experience disappointment or by the way that we manage disappointment. And that's where our character is formed. And that's who we really mm-hmm. are. And, and adversity is an, such an integral part of developing that character for things that are far more challenging than we can imagine that are waiting for us just around the corner. Yeah, you said so much there. It talked about a few of those things throughout the last 30 episodes or so. One of them you just mentioned, Caroline Leaf with Switch on Your Brain. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Fantastic book. And she says, you know, you can't choose your circumstances, but you can choose how you react and how you respond to those circumstances, right? The idea of what you said. I love how you said it because it's true. Like I can tell you mean it when you said, I love adversity. And people are like, you're crazy. You're nuts. But that's biblical, right? I mean, it's consider it pure joy. My brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, that's where the character is developed. That's where we get the humility. That's where we get to grow into who we are made to be. You can't get there without going through that crucible of that suffering, of that difficulty, of that adversity to be able to build that, to be able to do that. I mean, it's funny. I totally relate with you as far as being the, the kind of the small kid and having some big shoes to fill on the American football field. My brother was two and a half years ahead of me. He was a 40 running back, 5'10", 200, just a rock. And I was 5'9", 5'8". That's, I may have been on the, on the <laughs> roster listed as 5'9". 5'8", actually 5'7", and 7'8", if you want to be exact. But I was not 200 rock. I was not a 4'5". I was about a 4'9", which is a big difference. It's only 0.4, but that's a big difference. And so everyone's like, you going to be a running back? Are you going to do this? And I was, but interestingly, I, I was a goalkeeper, which at five, seven, and seven eights, that's not normal either. So over- overcoming a lot there and being able to say, you know what, I'm created exactly how I'm supposed to be created. And how does, what does that look like? How can I live that out? How can I be the best I can be in these different situations? And I clearly have seen that with you and just the little I've gotten to know you. I love hearing when you say that, you mean it, right? It's that other verse, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? Like this idea of, I don't care what's going on. There's things to be joyful about. There's things to rejoice about. And sometimes is that perspective of 
What's around the corner? How am I going to respond to this? How am I growing here? What can I learn from this? These are all things that I heard in that answer that you just gave, and and I love that. And I and and you you alluded to something else that I want to jump into a little bit, which is your personal why and your life purpose. And you mentioned that it's really you you, you feel that like your call is to mentor eighteen to twenty two year olds. You've also talked to me about how that's getting more and more difficult, and I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that why. Why you're, you know, why you believe you exist, and how that plays out in your coaching, in your marriage, in your parenting, other areas of life, and what that looks like, and how you're able to navigate that. Because I think a lot of people don't think about it too much, but then also maybe aren't seeing how it does apply to every area of their life. Yeah, Phil, listen, you know, I love my my family, and and my parents have both been really big influences in my life. Unfortunately, my parents divorced at the age of 15, and I went through 15 to, to kind of 22, 23, having a really hard time with the, the relationship dynamics that, that had developed in my family. I got saved at an FCA camp at the age of 15, right before all of this transpired, and and you know, unfortunately, at that time, I didn't have the emotional or the spiritual maturity to handle uh, all that was going on, and and so I, I didn't I didn't pursue with passion my walk with God during my teenage year the the way that I would have wanted to if I could go back and do it again. At the same point, it was adversity, right? And I look back on it now, and I'm just so grateful to God for the plan that He had for my life. And I didn't know that that plan was going to involve uh, achieving one of my lifelong dreams of playing at the professional level only to, to only to just have a taste of it before I transitioned into something else. You know, at 24, I take over at, at Trinity university, the women's team. I had never coached a women's team in my life. I coached a little girls team under 10, under 11 girls in the club environment, but had never coached a women's team before. and was only a couple of years removed from the oldest player. And one of the things I remember that was very clear to me, it was made very clear, is make sure that there was no misunderstanding about the nature of my relationship with the players that I was coaching. Well, at 24 years old, I didn't have the maturity to really understand the entire context and meaning of what was being said to me. And so I formed a wall around me. I came out for training. I came out for matches. And I went back in afterwards because I didn't know I didn't know how to create that relationship with 18 to 22 year olds as a 24 year old male in that space. And so I, for, for a number of years, I was not, I was not engaging in building and developing relationships. And that's, that's one of my greatest, if I were to say I had a regret, that would be one of my greatest regrets is feeling like I did not, I did not serve those players during those years, the way that, I truly have a passion to, to, to do. And so I, f- I feel like I failed those, those young women during the, that span of my life. And I could continue on and just being focused on, hey, let's go. We're going to compete. We're going to win games. And that's what we're going to do. That's just who we are. Uh, and we did. We won a lot of games, even during those, those years, to, really to the credit of the players, because I think I failed them. In so many ways, uh, they were able to overcome that and and still go out and compete. And you know, I think my first season in, at, at uh, Trinity University, we went sixteen and zero regular season. We were number one in the country. And at the same point, I look back on that and say, "But we missed so much, hmm. and we missed so much because I didn't catch it, and and because I missed it, they missed it. And so that was not part of their experience. And so I think part of what really 
compels and propels me forward in, in what I do and in, in my why is because I recognize that this time, 18 to 22, is so critical in the development of life for anyone. You think from, from zero to 18, right, you, you have the, the, hopefully you have the luxury of if it's not parents, it's grandparents, if it's not grandparents, it's, it's coaches, but they're, they serve in such a way in your life at that point where they're far more hands-on. Then you step out of that and you go 18 to 22. Now I'm in college. I'm living with peers. I'm making my own decisions. I choose whether I get up in the morning to go to class. I choose what I eat, when I eat, how I eat. I choose whether I'm going to train, whether I'm not going to train. I choose my words. I don't have those influences surrounding me and, and enveloping me, almost protecting me. And so now 18 to 22, I've got to learn through that phase. And now I've got to become a decision maker. And so for me and my space, I want our student athletes, I want them to be great decision makers, not because I, I, I think it only matters 18 to 22, but at some point they're going to be mothers. They're going to be employees. They're going to be employers. They're going to be friends. They're going to continue to be daughters and sisters. So their, their ability to, to learn how to make decisions that we use, as you said, how soccer explains leadership, how soccer explains life, how soccer is the vehicle that we used to teach through if, if they leave here and, and they are, they are better decision makers, they are better people, better human beings because of the experience that they've had. And we've been able to mentor them. My staff and I, and, and, and those that surround us have been able to mentor them through some very difficult times, some adversity, some challenges, some, some successful endeavors. And, and be able to understand how to, to maintain that harmony through life and, and, and better prepare them for, for what awaits them afterwards. That's what I'm so passionate about. That's what I love to do. That's also part of why I left Trinity. You know, it, 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 it was such a difficult time for me there. As much as I love that, and I spent more than half of my life up to that point at Trinity on that campus and either playing on the men's side or coaching on the women's side or, or assisting on the men's side. But there were some, some dynamics that were very complicated there in terms of the scheduling. And when I started having children, that's where it got complicated. And I felt like, man, I, I, I want to mentor these 18 to 22 year olds, but I also want to be able to mentor my own children. And, and so that, that sort of created that time where what, what's the right path? What's the wrong path? What's the right path? What's the easy path, which is most comfortable? But which is which is the path that God is calling me into, and and so fortunately, you know, I think what I do, and I think what we do as as parents is is we are coaching our children through life, just as I'm coaching eighteen to twenty two year olds through life here. Uh, we just have different settings for that. But but I, I think at the end of the day, leadership is influence, and if we're not having a positive influence on the people around us, then we are really squandering opportunity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's something that I think that we too often try to separate and compartmentalize things, right? And when we do that, I think it's more or it's easier to just neglect some of the responsibilities and some of the really the things that we are stewards over, right? And we're stewards over these lives. So you, and I, and I see that in that answer, folks, if you didn't really listen to that and really hear that, what, what Lance was talking about in that last, last answer, go back and listen to it because in that, it's exactly why we do this show because there's so much in not only what he said, but also how he said it. So the, the, the vulnerability that you, that you shared in that, just to, to say, look, I, I blew it really in the first few years. I, I blew it, but I didn't just 
say I blew it, throw up my hands, I'm a terrible coach, maybe I shouldn't do this. No, it's I blew it and now what? What's the what's the next right thing that I can do now that I've realized that? And the next right thing is to to say, okay, how can I do what I know I wasn't doing, right? And that's what you've been able to do. And and I've seen that just in that in that little in that last answer in the other conversations we had. And one of the other things you've talked about and you alluded to it again in that in that last answer in that last conversation we just had there. This idea of, you know, your family, right? And so often, this is why, how soccer explains leadership. It's not just the game, but it's everything that goes around the game. It goes everything that goes along with the game that we often neglect other things. As you said, you neglected the relationships because you wanted wins and you didn't want to and you didn't want to uh, negatively do things. And I get it. You're 24 with 22-year-old girls. Like that, There's a lot there that could go sideways, right? And so I get it. But it's not necessarily what you're created to do, what you're meant to do, and what that position has the potential to do. As I've said, we as coaches have privilege to be able to impact lives. It's, it's a responsibility, I see. It. It's a stewardship over their lives, right? But you also have your family, as you just said. And you alluded to it. And you told me a story of a, a time, you know, really your wife was spending a year praying you out of soccer, praying you out of coaching, right? And your daughter had a question that she asked you. Can you just share that question that she talked to you about and how that really impacted you and also how you've lived since then, how you've been able to take those things and now incorporate them into what you're doing at Louisiana in the way you're coaching and also the way you're living at home and engaging with your family since then. Absolutely. You know, I, I think I'll have to pick that up in a few different pieces and, and you may have to prod me if I, if I miss out on one of them by the end of it, but you know, families is, is it, it's so, so important to me. And as I said, we, had, we, there was some great family dynamics for me in my household growing up and there was some, some not so great family dynamics. And I love my mother. I love my father. And I'm grateful for the influence they, they had on my life. You know, I think the mentorship piece when I got to college and, and the, the relationship that my college coach, that he began to initiate by trying to help me go to institute, to, to a university, to an institution of higher ed, when I didn't, I wanted to go everywhere, but where he was and that unselfishness and that willingness to just, just be a, be a servant in that space and to say, I'm going to, I'm just going to help this young man. It may not do anything for me, but I'm just going to help this young man. That was a great example to me of mentorship and, and service because he really stood to get nothing out of it. And in the end, it was the relationship that he built with me. It was his care, his, his, gen, his authentic investment in me that made such an impact. And, and that was probably one of the first really recognizable mentor-mentee relationships that I had. Uh, up to that point in my life. And I think that's where my passion for mentorship probably really started and recognizing that, that wherever we are in life, we have a platform and that platform from that platform, we're going to have influence. And what we do with that influence from that platform, it, it's critical. Somebody's, somebody is relying on it. They're, they're desperate for it. They're in such need of it, whether we recognize it or not. And so 
so that that ties in the, the mentorship piece to this next phase. What I didn't have, and I told you at 15, I was saved at an FCA camp at Shriner University in Kerrville, Texas, about six rows deep on the far left side of the auditorium. I remember exactly the moment. I remember being overcome by the presence of God in my life and, and just absolutely beside myself in, in the tears that I cannot even explain to someone if they've never been through that experience. And, and if you haven't, you really should, you really should try it because, because the presence of God is unlike anything else uh, that you will ever experience. But, but losing my way, losing my way with that, fast forwarding a number of years, it really took me re-engaging in my faith and, and, and really recognizing that being a being a good person is is by my own standard is not it, it's not what it's all about you know you talked about i, I could have said the coaching is not for me right i look at the other way i could have said hey i got this all figured out mm-hmm. young ladies you just need to do what i'm telling you to do and we're going to continue to win games and we're going to continue to be number one in the country and in the national tournament and competing for for championships but that would have been wrong of me that would have been as wrong as, as stepping away from the game because God created me for certain things. And he, and he, he gave me passions for certain things and he's, he's taken me along these paths. And although I might've made some decisions that have taken me wayward, he's made sure I've hit the checkpoints that I need to hit. And so understanding that mentor mentee relationship, having a passion for the game, understanding adversity, I, I think has positioned me and I take all those experiences forward with me. So my wife comes into the equation. I'm very fortunate the influence that, that my wife has had on me in my adult years and her family as well. She is, she's a PK. She's a pastor's kid. She grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And she grew up on the front row of church every week of her life. They came to the United States at the age of 19. And I, I have the, the, the great fortune and, and blessing to have encountered her about 10 years later. I think I, I probably have to do the math on that. I think it's about 10 years. So through a story that we won't have time on this one. So you may have to have me back. If nothing else, Phil, you and I will have a follow-up conversation and I'll give you the backstory on how, on how we met, but that's, that's going to carry us into the two to three hour frame here, <laughs> which we don't have time for, but she, she can pray the roof off a building. She loves God and, and her living example for me and for our children is tremendous. And I think really helps to ground me as an ultra competitive person. She doesn't come from a, a sport background. She comes from the church background. She's, she's grown to love sport and love, I think, love soccer. Although, as you said, she was trying to pray me out of it. So why was my wife trying to pray me out of the game? Well, we had gone through some time where as, as we started to have our family, my oldest child uh, was, was around about three. And at that point in time, as I mentioned, I'm at Trinity and, and the schedule is really difficult to manage uh, because of the, the course offerings. You're either training early in the morning or, or pretty late in the afternoon, if not evening. So, you know, six to eight a.m. training session in the morning or, or a five to seven or six to eight session in the evening. But with young kids, they're going to bed early. You know, they're, they're up and off, but they're not up and, and off at 4.30 in the morning if I'm out of the, out the door by then. So I'm missing a lot of time with my wife and, and with my child at that point, my, my oldest child. And for the first couple of years, they're not, she's not articulating that, you know, she doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to word that, not a phrase that. And so it doesn't really resonate as fully with me until she starts to, and I'm going to, I'm going to use my words here, but basically saying, daddy, what about me? I, I don't see you in the morning. You know, I don't see you in the evening. You know, we don't have dinner together. 
her in her own way of expressing that. And it, it really made me take a step back. And I, and I said to my wife, I said, how can I go to work every day with a passion to, to, to mentor 18 to 22 year olds? If the example that I'm setting for them is one of, a, of an absentee father, of one of, of a man who's placed his job over, and his, his, his professional passion over his family and his personal passion. How can I, how can I justify that? And what, what message am I sending to the 18 to 22 year old women who are going to be wives and mothers someday? I'm not living that example. I'm not showing them a good example of what a father is. I'm showing them example of a father who's gone, who puts, who puts his job and his, his profession first. And if I'm not mentoring, if I can't mentor them the right way, and I'm not mentoring my three-year-old child at home, the way that a father should, should bring his child up, then, you know, what does the scripture say, right? Bring your children up in the ways of the Lord, right? Otherwise, what's going to happen? She's going she's, she's gonna to depart, right? So I've got I've to weigh these things up. And what I know about being elite in anything uh, it, through the experiences that I've had, not to say I'm, I'm, I'm truly elite, but I, I have a pursuit of being elite. I don't think I've ever, I've ever been there, but I've pursued it my whole life. It is balance is really difficult, right? What, what I, I tend to tell our players, I, I don't know if I even really believe in balance, but I do believe in harmony, right? And there's times where certain things are going to pull on you a little bit more and, and there might be a little bit of sacrifice on this, and then you're going to swing back over. But you have to keep those things in harmony. And so for me, I was out of harmony. And so my, and my, my child, my three-year-old child was telling it to me. I wasn't even recognizing it myself. It was coming from a three-year-old. So at that point in time, I knew that I was entering into a time of transition. I didn't know what that looked like. That's what took me to Texas. Austin was not a great fit for us. We, my wife and I were commuting in two different directions every single day, spending hours and hours in the car. And, and so we weren't coming closer together, even though we thought that, that that was what was going to be available to us. It just didn't work out that way. So we moved back to San Antonio and that's when I, I start selling real estate. And money's good. Time is a free. I'm available. I'm taking kids to school every day. I get to take my children to school every single day and drop them off and pray with them in the car and, and worship with them in the car. And, and I'm there at their school assemblies and I'm, I'm there most of the time to pick them up from school and anything that they're doing, I'm there. And that's fantastic. But there was an absence of purpose on the other side of that equation in, in my professional space. And so my wife really didn't want me to go back into soccer because she knew that she knew that that meant recruiting trips and she knew that that meant five days away in a week. And she knew that that, that could mean late home from the office or early in the morning to the office. And she just knew that that meant time away that I had been able to spend with my family. But as I said, harmony is important. So while, while things were going great in my family life and quite frankly, things were going great in our, our financial life, there was still something that was missing. Right. So she was quite happy for me to stay exactly where I was. And so she was trying, she was literally trying to pray. And I was too, Phil. I don't know if I shared that with you in our conversation. I was trying to pray the desire and, and the passion that I had for this space, for this environment, out of my heart and out of my life. And what happened was we prayed ourselves right back in to what God had for us, which was uh, to come to Louisiana 
I still have my my real estate license. I've got a real estate license in two states. I don't do a whole lot of real estate anymore, but but it's exactly where God wanted us to be. And and it's just it's amazing sometimes to sit back and look at what God's plans are and how they differ from our own plans and how sometimes even though we have a draw and a passion and enthusiasm for something, we've got to submit it to God. We submit it to God, right? And we're going to and then we're going to make the right choices. If we don't and we just rely on our emotions or our desires, that's what we're going to miss. Like we're going to miss the plan that he has for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And, and you know, it, it's something that's, it's a lot, you, you really, it's hard to understand the idea of platform until you get it. You said you haven't been at the elite. You've been at the elite levels. Come on, I can say it. You don't want to say it. You're humble. I get it. But you played in the MLS. That's, that's elite. If that's not elite, I don't know what is, right? Maybe you didn't play Premier League or Serie A, but... MLS pretty darn good. So I'll say that also in coaching, you've been incredible. But again, what is the most important platform you have, right, is in your own home. And that's something that I've talked to people about that, look, yeah, I've written book, I've, I've done podcasts, people know who I am in different parts of the world, whatever, very small subcultures, yes, but still, you know, people, know. but really, if I were to disappear for six months, most people wouldn't even think about me. If I were to disappear from six months from my home, that would be noticed, right? My, my wife has one husband. My kids have one dad. I can't delegate those responsibilities. All these other things we do in life, we can delegate. You know, if you go on sabbatical or if you have, you're sick or someone's sick, you can get someone to cover for you. But that platform that so often we neglect to get another platform that we want for something else you know, it, it can't be delegated. It can't, that's just abdication if you try to delegate it. So those are things that, you know, are really, really important. And I think too, it goes into the coaching. It goes into these other things that we're doing because as you said, if you aren't living a life of integrity and if you aren't living out the values you're talking about on in your locker room to your women, you're not going to have the credibility. They're going to just, they're going to look at you and go, your life is a wreck. Why would we want to listen to you? Right? And so those are things that I think are really important for you to hear, folks out there. If you weren't hearing and listening to what is being said here, it's so important for all of us to remember. And again, that platform idea that you know so much has been made of platform and how many follows you have and how many whatever you call them on the different platforms of social media. You know what? None of that matters if you're not living a life of integrity, if you're not living the really investing in the lives that are in your life for real that would miss you. And that's a great question to ask. Who would miss me if I were to disappear for six months? Invest the majority of your time with those people. That's just something that, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, it's interesting. So as you're talking and, and we're, we're going through this topic and kind of pulling some of the some of the layers back. I'm reminded of a of a poem, and, and I'm I'm probably going to butcher this um, because it's it's been a long time since I've seen it. But it's in reference to the indispensable man, right? So mm. the indispensable man, right? There's only one place where you're indispensable, and that's at home with your wife and your children. As you said, every other space that we're in, every professional endeavor that that we that we take on, any other thing that we do, there's always a replacement. Somebody somebody can be hired in a week and then there's there's new leadership in that organization and they move on but your family 
it, and that's something that that has been it's, it's so it, it just burns deep inside me that that our our responsibility to our to our family in a place where we are truly in this the only place where we are truly indispensable right and and the whole concept of the of the the poem it talks about you know if you put your hand in a bucket right and you take it back out right there's no, there's nothing gone right mm-hmm. that's how much you'll be missed right that, that that's that's the same way in so many spaces but it's not that way at home that's right and that 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 three-year-old comment of what about me daddy what about us you know her and her way of saying that bless her heart I, I mean it broke my heart and i knew i knew at that point i i had to i had to make a change and so you know we committed a lot to prayer we we probably i i more so than her probably got 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 drawn away with with visions of what that's going to look like and well this is what i've done my whole life and this is what it's going to have to be. And this is where it's going to have to be. And I, I'd solved it all myself, but, but thankfully before I officially solved anything, right. We, we left it up to God and we really tried to follow his plan. And, and that's all that we're trying to do at the end of the day. That's all I'm trying to do is, is to be the, the best version of myself that God created me to be. And I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes all day long. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things I've learned through all the mistakes that I've made is that one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary and the English language is, is sorry. The ability to, to apologize. You know, I, I've done my best to try to apologize to those players. We talked about those players in my early years to try to apologize to them in whatever way that I can to say, I'm sorry. I wish I had done better for you. I wish I, had, I, I was mature enough to understand um, the mistakes that I was making, but, but I'm so grateful and, and I've, I've, I've continued to make mistakes, right? You know, I'm, I'm after, after I really had that aha moment, I'm like, this is not about, this is not about winning matches, right? This is about, this is about winning in life. It's, it's, you know, as, as we say here, if we're champions in life, we'll be champions in, in our game, right? So, and it takes a champion to win championships, right? And, and so uh, our lifestyle, a lifestyle of a champion. And it was an interesting thing we talked about with our team here when we first arrived a couple of years ago. We were going through some vision planning. It's something that, that, to my knowledge, they hadn't done before. And we had some international players. And so to them, when you say champion, champion, that's, that's holding the trophy. You know, it's, that's hoisting the trophy. But for us, in the context of what we were talking about, it was being a champion in who we are as human beings, being a champion in the decisions that we make and the relationships that we keep and invest in, and being a champion in our own discipline, our own self-discipline, how we, how we prepare ourselves to get up each day, how, how we posture ourselves. Man, Phil, po- right now, probably the word that rings in my ears and in my head all day long is this concept of posture. And this is probably another podcast too, but uh, posture has so much to do with, with what, what we experience in our lives. And I think sometimes if we could take a step back and just look at what our posture is in a moment, and we could correct that posture, tweak that posture. We w- the experience that we would have would be so so much more valuable and so much more life giving. But a lot of times, I think we posture ourselves uh, in such a way. As I said, you know, I could say I'm going to posture myself to say I'm the expert here. I'm the coach. Mm-hmm. I, I play at the professional level. Who cares? Yep. yep. Who cares where you play. You've never played women's college soccer before, mm-hmm. right? So I got a lot to learn here. I, I needed to learn more than they did. I needed to learn from them. Yep. You know, and, and I think sometimes when we get ourselves in positions of leadership, sometimes we can get consumed by, I have an obligation, I have a responsibility to educate and to teach and to transmit information, right? So much more can be gained as a leader if we, if we change our posture there and say, I'm here to learn. I mean, I, dev- I devour 
we, we said this in, in, in our last email exchange, I devour leadership content because I, I just want to learn. I want to hear what other people have experienced. What, what situations have they been in? What have they done? How have they approached certain situations and scenarios and, and player decisions and uh, people decisions, really? Right. I, I mean, I love sports books and I love to hear about the best coaches and managers in the world. But I love business books. I love I love just books that talk about people because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because just literally yesterday, the Clyde Best clip that I did an interview with Clyde Best, one of the mo- legendary players of West Ham United, one of the first black footballers in the English First Division, and how he ended his second interview with me is exactly what you just said. It's this learning posture. It's this humble posture. If we don't have a learning humble posture, we're going to miss so much. And what he said was, we can learn from a drunk on the street if we just listen, if we allow ourselves to listen, right? It's this idea of listening, actively listening for what we can learn not just assuming we know, not assuming we're the better, not assuming we have something. That's something I've learned around the world in the slums of different countries where you could go there and go, oh, I have everything. I'm going to come solve your problems. The reality is we can learn so much from anybody and everybody around the world if we're just willing to listen. You know, And that idea of saying sorry that you just said. I mean, folks, if you didn't know beforehand, it will make a lot more sense now that Lance was a philosophy major. So he has a <laughs> philosophy degree because we're doing some philosophizing here. You know, I took I, I was a philosophy major for one semester and then I decided not to do that after I realized that it was way too it was just it was too much out there for me. Actually it was too much reading, if you want to know the honest truth. We're we're vulnerable here today. So that's why I didn't want to do it. But Instead, I did communication so I can just talk all day right here with you, right? So that's just what I do now, you know? So it is what it is. But that's those things of just saying sorry. It's, it's such a little thing that is, has massive implications. So even this morning, before full disclosure, I blew up. There was a flood in my house and it set me off because my, my son clogged the toilet and overflowed, whatever. I completely lost it just completely lost it. I wish I could say it was the first time it's happened in the my 20 years of marriage and my almost 20 years of parenting, but it wasn't the first time. But what that allowed me to do was say sorry to my son who I laid into. To pull him up aside and say, hey, I'm sorry, I blew it. And make sure you don't clog the toilet again. But, but it's that sorry, right, where... And that's what I, some of the best, most memorable conversations and moments with my children is after I blew it, that opportunity to say, I'm sorry, where I actually took it. And I didn't have the pride and I didn't have the, oh, but I'm right. If I'm right and I don't say sorry, I'm wrong. So we could go on and on about that. There's so much more we could talk about there. But unfortunately, we do have a time we need to finish here in a little bit. So I want to talk about a few more things that we could talk about any one of these things for hours and hours, but uh, we'll consider it the speed round and we'll still take a little bit of time on it, but I'm just going to call it the speed round. So then both of us will have that in our head as we're talking about Let's it. Do it. But all right. So really we talked a little bit about the idea of creating, communicating and reinforcing values in, in the soccer program that, that you, programs that you've been able to lead. What does that look like? Why is it so important, first of all? I mean, you talked about vision framing. You talked about all of that. You talked about champion and the different meanings of these terms. So to create, communicate, reinforce, 
And how does that help us? What does that teach us about life? I mean, I think it teaches, it's exactly what life is. I mean, we're, we're relating to people in a space where we're meant to have like ambitions and like focus. We, we don't all have like experiences coming into that. Some experiences may, may be comparable, but, but it requires this it requires this this collaborative, and it's it's everything that we do. We, I mean, you and I know this, having gone through college and, and been, you know, and and now former former athletes, but but still investing in that space. But it, it's everywhere we go, and you know, I really don't think that that soccer. You know, I, I loved I loved what I know, uh, Coach Close. I was listening to that that uh, podcast as well, and just took so much away. What what a just a, what a wealth of wisdom and insight yeah. she was in, in in that interview, and and so. I hope to hope to hope that she's back on because I, I enjoyed listening to her what she had to share. But as a basketball coach, right? Obviously a soccer fan, but she's she's saying the same things. And 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 really, I think people that that you're that you're bringing into this and giving this platform to, I think we're all more or less saying the same things. Is that what we do is just an opportunity to to influence people around us in such a way that they're better equipped. For the things life is going to bring into to the equation at any given time, and that's that's the the influence of people. That's the 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 help, the building up, the support, the equipping of people that that we're trying to do. And you know, for me, I I pray all the time that, that God just equip me for what He's got for what He's got in store for me. That I'm just equipped for it, right? Because I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail Him, and I don't want to fail the people that He's designated me to have influence over. But but everything that we're talking about, whether it's, you know, be it, be a good human being, be a good student, right? That's your professional endeavor, which right now it's academic in a college space, but that's your professional endeavor. And it's in everything, right? Continue to be a learner and be the best learner that you can and be a great athlete, right? That's your passion. Whatever it is that you're passionate about, be committed to that, be committed and, and be in, in, invest yourself in that space to be the best that you can be. See, I don't believe that we were created to be average. Right, which is why it's a shame that average is average because there's so many people that are there. We're created to be outstanding, each in our own way. So find that, figure out what that is, and be committed to that. So those are the three primary areas of our life. I think that we're that we're dealing with our personal life, our professional life, and and then that space that we have passion, right? Because whatever whatever burns inside of us, there's a reason that that's burning. Right. And so let's let's be the best that we can be there. We have three three real rules. And I think this this is something that I've I've derived from my college coach. And I think he derived it from Lou Holtz. And I don't know, Lou Holtz probably got it from somewhere because because, as you know, you have to innovate, excuse me, you have to imitate before you innovate. Right. So we're all getting things. We're all borrowing concepts and ideas. And that's what's great thing about learning and reading. But do the right thing. Do it to the best of your ability and make sure the people around you that your decisions have influence on, make sure they know you care about them and that you've considered them in your decision. And whether that's in soccer, whether that's in life, whether that's in their, their, their dorms, whether that's in their jobs, whether that's them as a mother, whatever it might be, it's going to apply in every area of our life. And if we can filter our decisions through those three things, is it the right thing to do? 99.9% of the time, we know what the right thing to do is. We don't always choose it, but we know what the right thing to do is. And if we don't know we know the person in our life that we can confide in that will know. We don't always choose that person. Sometimes we choose the person that we, we know is going to agree with us, not the one who's going to really challenge us to do the right thing, but do the right thing. The best of your ability, 
right? Because that's what we're created to do. We're created to be outstanding. We're created to be excellent, be excellent. And then show people that you care because if you don't care about people, your influence, they're just, you're in a box and, and, and you're not going to be able to, to really affect the people that we're called to affect. And, and so those are the things I think that, that, that most transcended, have transcended my experience as a player and have transcended into every area of my life, whether it be business or whether it be sport, whether it be family. And I just feel like every time I look at it, I think, man, that decision that was made, if, there's, if that had gone through those three filters and gone all the way through and we could check yes on all three of them, we're going to be really good decision makers. Absolutely. You know, and that's something that if we can teach our teams to do that, you know, even just doing the next right thing, do it excellent and make sure people know you care. That would go a long way to a healthy culture, a healthy team and really a winning team. Cause you, you're, if you love your teammates, you're going to want to be excellent for them. Right. And if you know, they care about you and you care about them, that's, it's it's amazing how simple some of this stuff is. It's really difficult. It's hard, especially when we're mad, when we're tired, when we're, you know, when we were selfish, unfortunately. But that's just the reality. But when we do that, man, it's such a great place to be. And I know you and I both have been on teams that have that, and we've been on teams that haven't had that. And it's amazing that I know a lot of kids have never experienced it for various reasons. And it it saddens me because I think that's why a lot of people are leaving sports. It's not because they don't love the sport. It's because they don't like what comes along with it, which kind of leads to the next thing I really want to talk about is, you know, one of these ideas that we've talked. There's this great book, The Coddling of the American Mind. I don't know if you've read that book, but Jonathan Haidt, one of my, he's, he's becoming one of my favorite authors. Uh, brilliant man, but he talked about this idea of safetyism, this idea of, you know, we're really getting soft in our thinking, in our, in our, how we encounter, talking about resilience, talking about all these different things, overcoming adversity, we're becoming soft in our ability to do that as a culture. And, And you, you talked with me about how you grew up, you know, and you even talked about it today. The idea of thinking discomfort is actually good because you grow through it, right? That we talk about that all the great things in life come on just the other side of comfortable. But really, that's being challenged in our society, and that's that's not really being taught. It's actually almost being protected against a lot of times. So, and that that has led to entitlement. That's led to some of these societal norms in our country and our culture. How how have they changed the landscape of of coaching and sports that you've seen over the last you know couple decades? And how do you believe we can re- reverse that trend? Assuming you don't agree with it. Yeah, you know, society. Society has such a great influence, and you and I, I think, we're, we're fortunate to have come up in a time where information, the way we received information, is far different than the way the now generation is is receiving information. You know, it's interesting. They were, they were just this past weekend at church. They were they were talking, and, and they had some. It was a, basically a panel setting, and they had some some now generation young people that were up there, and they were talking about things part of their experience, but. You know, I mentioned it earlier. You've got you've got all your your social media platforms. That that has become the primary source of information for this now generation. And you essentially you get your information from from people that either you follow or that the social media platforms think you should follow, right? So it's being funneled. It's being funneled and filtered through. So you're only you're only getting bits and pieces. But if that's your primary source of information then you're so limited in, in your scope of understanding, right? There's a difference between, between knowing and understanding, right? And so 
I may know what I see on my screen, but do I really understand the context of that within, within you know, our, our society at large? And then, and then going from knowing and understanding, now we've got to go to, to being able to apply. So now you're trying to apply this knowledge within the scope of your relationships. And, and I, I think that it's, although they have so much more information that we do, in many ways, their information is so much more limited as well. Because I think it tends to be, it tends to be less, it's more biased, right? Based on these filters. And, and it's unfortunate, right? A lot of people don't watch TV anymore because they've got their tablet or they've got their computer or they've got the phone screen. And, and we're so glued to that. And so what, what this is, is, you've seen it evolve into is the diluting of the idea of relationship. Right? All we've done, this whole conversation, Phil, is talk about relationships, right? But unfortunately, our, our young people know and understand less and less about what, what relationships really are. So I, I look at it this way. I think that our young people have gotten so interested in faux relationships, right? That's how many followers do I have? That's how many likes do I have? That's how, how many people, how many people are affirming whatever it is that the content, whatever it is that I put out there as opposed to relationships, right? So a young person or any person for that matter, doesn't, it's not just limited to young people. There are exceptional young people out there who, who I think are, are, are not part of this norm that we're talking about, but this norm is becoming more prevalent at the same point. We, we have a society of people who by and large is looking for affirmation of whatever it is that they feel is important. And so what happens is that's measured by followers. That's measured by likes. It's do anything you can to go viral, right? As opposed, and, and so that, how does that transcend into our, our actual relationships? Well, now something that I feel if I take it to somebody who I know is a follower of mine, I know they're going to like my message. I, I need to take something that's of, of significance to someone who may not be a follower of mine, but who is a, a mentor of mine, someone who may not like my message, who may say, listen, I understand what it is that you're saying. I understand how you feel. However, this is the right path. This is, this, is what, this is what needs to be done in the situation. But that's not what we're doing as a society. We're just trying, it's, it's all, you know, our media is about viewers. It's, everything is about the number of people that you can get to engage in your message. I, I was talking to some parents today about this. People are not particularly interested in conveying the reality. They're, they're interested in conveying what might be popular. and leadership is not always popular reality truth is not always popular my my pastor recently shared this statement and this is one i'm going to be sharing a lot i think while i'm very interested in your feelings i'm far more interested in your future hmm. and i i think right now we're in a we're in a feeling society but as leaders we have we have a responsibility and and an opportunity i would say even to understand the feelings of those that we're leading and not, but, and help them contextualize those to allow them to move forward towards the future that they have available to them. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we stop at the feelings 
and we lose sight of the future. Yeah, you know, the idea of entitlement to that point, it actually stifles our growth to say, I deserve this even though I haven't earned it or I deserve it because I am whatever, you name the whatever that fill in the blank. You're not going to work for it. You're not going to go the extra mile. You're not going to do all these things that we've always said are critical to character, are critical to development. You're not going back to adversity. You're going to hit that wall and you're going to go, who's going to help me? Where's my, where's the ladder? Someone bring me a ladder. Rather than how can I figure out how to do this? How can I go through this and work through it? And who can help me? Yes. And finding people to help and to have those teams and the importance of having that rather than I, I deserve something without really being able. And that goes to feelings too, right? That feeling that comes of... I deserve this is, is really that it's not based in logic. It's not based in rational thought. A lot of the time, it's just based in what we, what we've been told, what we see, what we see on social media, which is like you said, the, the faux relationships, faux, faux relationships, whatever. I don't know. You said it, you said it better than I just did. I, I started saying something and it started going sideways there real quick. So I, I'm not going to try to say it again, but those ideas are so important though. What you just talked about, just really understanding what is real and what are we created to do and how can we do that? And what does it take to work to get there? It's, it's not going to be just something that's going to feel good all the time. It's going to be tough. We're going to hit barriers. We're going to hit issues. And how do we work through those? That's what shows the character. And that's what our jobs are as coaches, right? I mean, that's what we're here to do as leaders in anything, whether it's coaches, whether it's leaders of organizations, whether it's us as parents, whatever we are leading, whoever we are leading, that is our role. That is our job is to help our people to flourish. The only way you're going to flourish is to push past these discomforts that are helping us to build us. It's kind of that crucible that we talked about to go through to strengthen us. All right. A couple more questions. Questions we always ask. Were you going to say let's something else? Oh, okay. No, let's do no, it. no, no. All right, cool. All right, so what lesson have you learned directly from the game of soccer that you've used in your life and leadership in your marriage and parenting? I might have to go back to what I said earlier. Life is, life is hard. Yeah. And, and life is hard, but you're capable. Right, we're we're capable of getting out on the other side of it. You know, surround yourself with surround yourself with with people who have like values, who are going to stand with you through the good times and through the bad times, and who are going to challenge you to to be an overcomer. Who are going to challenge you to be your best. Find people that will will speak truth to you. You know, I, I think to, to pick up a little bit on what you were just saying, you know, we're in a consumer society, right? So everyone's buying something. You know, one of the big things we try to do when we're recruiting, whether recruiting staff or recruiting players, is not to sell them on anything. I don't want anyone to get here and think, man, I, I, bought, a, I bought a bill here and, and this is not what I was expecting. I want, to know, I want them to know exactly what they're signing up for because I want them to know the truth of this, of this environment, the expectations of this environment, the accountability that comes with it. And at the end of the day, they'll be accountable, not even, not even to me. They're going to be accountable to the agreement that we have that this is how we're going to operate. Um, but we're in a consumer society where you know everyone's taught to buy things. I, this is one of my one of my pet peeves is when when people in leadership roles talk about buying in. I don't want anyone to buy anything from me. I just want you to be committed. And if this is not the right space for you, if this is not the right opportunity or environment, that's okay. I'm not for everyone. You talked earlier about being the right fit. We talk about the right fit all the time. I don't want anyone to be here if this doesn't fit what mm-hmm. what you are looking to do. If you don't want to be elite, 
you don't want to pursue elite, don't come here because that's exactly what we're going to do every single day and all the things that we do. But I, I think, you know, to, to kind of bring it back on topic here, you talked about what has the game taught me? And it ties into everything we've talked about, right? Adversity, challenges, overcoming, resilience. Life, you wake up in the morning, there's things around the corner, there's things within that day that you aren't expecting that are going to really challenge you. Sometimes they're going to challenge you physically, emotionally, spiritually, you're going to be challenged. We have to expect those things, but we also have to make sure that we're doing the best job that we can leading up to them to prepare ourselves and, and to, to ensure that we can navigate through that. And that's the relationships and the things that we talked about. So I don't know, man, I think, I think that's probably has to be it. And that's, that's just been, again, that's just part of my experience and, and what I've had. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I mean, looking back at your career, that's that's a great lesson from the game that clearly has been learned, and and a lot of us do learn that through these, through the sport that we love. But to be able to teach that with real life examples to all those that you're leading is is critical. So, all right, last question, and I know you could go on for hours and hours on this. So I'm going to limit you to to three, and then you can give me more later, and then we can put on the show notes so you can look like this well read man, which you actually are. So, but what have you read, listened to, or watched that has most impacted your thinking on how soccer explains life and leadership? Three. Well, uh, you can go more. All right. I just want you, I don't want you to go on all day. Yeah. Three-ish. Exactly. There's a great book, Michael Jordan, I Can't Accept Not Trying. And and for me, I think as for all the reasons I've said, being the, the little bitty guy, being the third of, of three siblings, I don't know any different than giving my best. And, and I think he just does a great job and a really, really easy read and and uh, really for anyone of any age and any space. It was recommended a book during a really trying time in, in my life, going back a handful of years ago, part of this transition and what is life going to look like for me, a book called All In, pastor out of, uh, I believe, a church in the DC area. I believe it's Mark Batterson. I might have to double check that, but I think that's yeah. a very impactful book for me. I reread it every year. And then from there, man, I mean, there's so many. I, I I love I love John Wooden's stuff. I love Tony Dungy's stuff. I'm a I'm a big John, if John Gordon's written it, I've probably read it. So you know, all three of those. I, I think in a in a certain space of of leadership literature, there's just a lot of really quality content from from those guys and their experiences. And then, you know, because I'm a soccer guy, I like to I like to read the the stories of managers and in, in some of the top leagues in the world. You know, I, I take some insight from them and the the experiences that they had and uh, you know sometimes i think man if it worked for them in their space it's got to work for us <laughs> so yeah, absolutely um, and you know and and part of part of that all in piece it's it's a very spiritual spiritual based book that that fed me at a time when i was starving and uh, you know obviously coming straight out of the scripture so you know i think the word of god is is the most powerful thing that we can read and uh, this, there's all, all the things that we need are right there. If only we would read it more, myself included. But uh, that's probably got to, that's got to make the top, the, the short list. I agree with that. And uh, I know you could go on and on with books because last time we talked, you just had a stack on your desk that you just th- showed to me the different, the different books there. So I can, I can attest to the fact, I think you had Jurgen Klopp's book there and a couple others there on, oh, with the managers. So you know, that that goes back to what I've said many times. Leaders are readers. Leaders are learners. So if you're not reading, if you're not listening to stuff, you know, obviously this podcast is something you're going to learn a lot from because we do have some amazing people on this. Lance, you're no exception to that. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your life. I appreciate just the the 
friendship that we've already built and I excited to continue it over the years. And so I just uh, look forward to continuing our conversation. Thanks for being here today to share your wisdom, share what God's done in, in and through your life with our audience. Phil, listen, you know, I think I've got to, I've got to turn it back to you. I appreciate you saying those things and I appreciate, you know, being part of, of the lineup of folks that you've interviewed. You know, I, 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 quite frankly, I thought I've got no business being, being part of this group with, with some of the accomplishments and some of the, the, the leaders that you've had on. So I, I'm very grateful. I feel very fortunate to uh, have, have had the opportunity to share. But I think what you are doing needs needs some some attention as well, not just in this podcast, but what you're doing across the world to impact people. You know, we talked about platform earlier on, and I think you've you've taken and created and built upon platforms that have not only allowed you to have tremendous influence across so many people, but using that to allow others like myself to be able to, to share insight and, and experiences. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, our, our hope, and I would say the same is probably true for you. Our hope is just to have the most positive impact we can on the people around us. At the end of the day, that's what I want most for my players is just them to leave better people and, and, and more, more equipped and more prepared because of, of things that, that they experience within our program and to know that they're loved and, and because we're loved, right? Our, our creator loves us very much and, and uh, loves us in such a unique way. But it's it really is an honor to, to be on your podcast and and thank you for for reaching out and engaging me as you said that just that sometimes you connect so well with people uh, that you hardly know and this is certainly one of those moments where I'm I'm just grateful that we've been led into each other's lives and I appreciate very much what you're doing and and look look forward to continuing to support and and cast your message out everywhere I can. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that's extremely humbling, as you said. I mean, I do this. I do everything I do because I love to help others to flourish and to make good things better. And so that's something that I, I, like I said, I'm humbled. Thank you for those words. Very much appreciate it. And folks out there, you know, this, these aren't just words. This is why we're doing this is to help you flourish, help others that you know flourish. So if you think this is going to help somebody else, share it with them. You know, I, I have shared other podcasts with people. I've shared this podcast with people, not because I'm wanting to drive up numbers, but because I know it will help people. I know it will help you. There's so much that we have to learn from each other. And so I do hope that we're continuing this conversation offline. I do hope that you're taking what you're learning from this and you're using it to, to make you a better leader, to help you, to help those in your, in your circles to flourish, to help your, your family, those in your home those in your circles, those in your platform that really do care about you and that you care about, that you're using it to help you to help them. And, you know, like I always say, I also hope that you're taking everything you're learning on this show and you're using it to help you understand how soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.